If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. something and uh, i want you to help me figure this out yeah iron man is a marvel superhero indeed and he has saved the lives of countless people and saved the planet multiple times correct mm-hmm. in marvel studios iron man played by robert downey jr his theme song is iron man by black sabbath correct oh shit i'm trying to think does he have i feel like he has an independent score theme he does but he's wearing like the black sabbath t-shirt and i think the movie the first movie and maybe even the second movie ends with the iron man um song the 1977 or 1970s song the the first one definitely does the first movie also has kind of a very generic like rock music score right so yeah you're you're right the black okay. sabbath song is essentially it, his it's kind of his heroic song. theme it is maybe not like officially but there's 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 definitely a tie-in the lyrics the lyrical content of iron man the song is one in where a time-traveling man wants to go and save a specific society he fails he's uh reviled and i think he actually gets transformed into like a piece of like solid steel and then he murders everyone that he is trying to save. That's what the song is about. That's awesome. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> it's not really the best song when you think about it, right? Well, I'm I'm thinking about it now, though. Holy shit, that's the plot of, uh, like, Infinity War. Mm. Uh, that's the end of the, uh, the Infinity Saga. That's right. And he pretty directly plays into Thanos' hands mm -hmm. so that everyone dies. That's right. See, they were thinking that far ahead. Oh, no, they weren't. Don't even give them that much credit. <laughs> no way. I just noticed I put those two together and I was like, wait a second. This is, this is not the message <laughs> they're trying to send about this specific character. But anyway, yeah. We doing this? Let's do it. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. So happy yeah. to have you with us. This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television of all time, their most memorable episodes, and their creative teams, both in front of and behind the camera. I am Phil Mitchell, and along with me is my co-host. He is still fighting on that lie, Mr. Alex Sinesse. <laughs> You're getting quick with that. Mm. How are you doing, man? Not bad, man. Not bad. That's How about you? <laughs> doing okay. Doing okay. So today we're going to be talking about episode nine, season one of The Sopranos, entitled Boca. Boca. It's it's for the kids this episode, right? It's I encourage kids. you, if you <laughs> haven't seen an episode and you want to share it with your family, mm -hmm. gather up all of your nephews and nieces and tell them, hey, we're going to watch this specific episode of The Sopranos. You're going to love it. 
It's going to be the least awkward one you could possibly share cross-generationally. Oh, yes. <laughs> Good stuff all around. Yeah. So this episode was, yeah, it was directed by Andy Wolk and um, written by uh, Robin, Robin Green, Mitchell Burgess, and uh, Jason Cahill. Wolk was one and done directing for the series. He had uh, started out with HBO. He directed an HBO movie back in like 1990 with uh, Forrest Whitaker and Rosie Perez that uh, hmm. got some acclaim. Okay. And uh, I guess that kept him in the pipeline as far as production goes. This was his only thing. He continued to work in TV after this. And, uh, you know, I, I think his directing is solid. I don't think it has quite the like cinematic sweep and fluidity of the Coulter episodes mm -hmm. or Alan Taylor stuff. But uh, it's still, it's it's definitely uh, cut above your average TV directing, I would still say. It's juggling a lot, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of tones. Holy cow. Absolutely. <laughs> some, some real sharp turns <laughs> as far as the tone goes. Oh my gosh. So I guess, yeah, just as a recap, Pac Soprana, dead and gone, right? <sighs> we had about three episodes of congeniality, politeness partnership and sharing all of this is about to crack and crumble because of men keeping secrets right so yeah the episode starts off with tony sill Artie buco adopting one don hauser into their ranks don hauser is the successful beloved girls high school a soccer coach he coaches meadow um, and they're very disappointed when they find out that a uh, coach hauser is uh, leaving jersey to go coach in rhode island Tony, he is determined to, to kind of control the situation, so he makes several clumsy attempts at bribing Hauser. Meanwhile, the federal indictments, they're looming over everything, right? Junior, he's drafted an army of lawyers in hope of dodging the federal indictments. Mikey Palmese is in the mix, and he is really convinced that Tony is cooperating with the feds. I like that he just hops into that. Like, he is so certain that Tony is behind all of this, right? With, like, very little evidence, I would say. I love that his pet theory, yes, is just that, oh, this guy want to kill? There's a great reason to kill him. Exactly. You know? It's like his his logic train is so simple and so just based <laughs> in sadism. I love it. That guy is just bringing it every single time. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, so overwhelmed, indecisive, and seemingly unfocused, uh, Junior, he goes to Boca Raton, and he brings along his girlfriend, Roberto. Um, and while they're there, uh, Junior really emphasizes to Roberta that he wants her to stay hush-hush about his skills in the bedroom, particularly his oral skills in the bedroom. She just won't stop bringing it up, though. We gotta be honest. She's into it. She loves it. Oh, it's not just that she's into it. She's like, I want to tell everyone how transcendent this experience is and i want to talk with you about it in depth and it's like where where did she ever get the impression that junior was someone who wanted to talk about any of this like <laughs> she's singing it from the mountaintops right yeah and we're talking about guys who are pretty shut off who are not in touch with their feelings let alone uh how they might uh please their partners in the bedroom yep. and uh she just she will not stop being like no no let's really talk about it let's really get into how amazing you are and what do you even say you know oh, what do you do what do you do yeah poor guy <laughs> Oh, man. But anyway, as <laughs> poor Junior... guy, get out of here. I know, I know. <laughs> Even as he's trying to lock this down, uh, the cat's already out of the bag. Um, <laughs> it is, right? Just out of the bag. Meanwhile, as this is happening, um, Artie Buco, he's struggling with the loss of his restaurant. Um, and even just like, I think his identity as a guy, as a man. 
Tony, he continues his therapy. He offers Melfi the most insincere apology for his insulting behavior during the previous episode. It's the worst. It's the that worst apology. Weak sauce, it man. is terrible. Oh. God, man. Yeah, it's bad. And so Meadow, she struggles with helping a soccer teammate uh, whose name is Allie, um, who seems to be struggling with a mental health concern. But that all changes uh, when Tony and the crew figure out that Coach Hauser has been having sex with Allie. Um, and that is the reason why she, this uh, young woman is struggling with uh, mental health and, and depression. Um, and this comes by the way of Meadow, who ends up disclosing that information to Tony. Yeah, I mean, this is the interesting thing about the episode is like <laughs> one minute we're clowning on Junior and it's all so lighthearted and ridiculous. Mm -hmm. His hangups in regards to oral sex and all this. And then the other storyline. And it's like as soon as you brought it up, I was just like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's so heavy. It's so intense. And uh, I actually really like the juxtaposition of tones. It creates sort of a, a queasy feeling where mm -hmm. everything is so intense both the levity and the the really dramatic dark stuff but uh yeah i mean that shift is so sudden i mean i felt it like come over both of us where it's like oh wait no 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 now we got to talk about this this is really <laughs> intense some stuff. serious stuff yeah yeah so Tony, he and the guys are going to decide to dole out some mafia justice onto Coach Hauser. But however, um, at the guidance of Melfi, Tony instead decides to inform the authorities um, and Coach Hauser is arrested. As this is happening, the peace between Tony and Junior sort of comes to a head when Tony starts to rib at Junior's sexual proclivities um, and he's driving Junior's insecurities through the roof. That ends up prompting Junior towards the end of the episode to decide that he is going to to whack Tony. And that's going to be it. It's amazing what <laughs> brings this fragile piece to an end, right? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just rumors about oral sex. I mean, we, we might as well get into it that the issue at hand here really is that there is this strange old school cultural yeah. thing that mm. has been filtered down through the mob that oral sex uh, specifically a man performing oral sex on a woman is in some way <laughs> evidence that they are gay. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. They, they view it as this sign of weakness. Oh, that you would please a woman. Like it's terrible. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. <laughs> and yet that becomes this flashpoint <laughs> of mafia violence because it is such a serious insult yep. to even accuse someone of being a pussy eater yep that is that's the worst thing you could be in the mob that's the not a murderer not a thief no 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 this guy though i hear he eats pussy man big trouble that one gotta look out for that guy for real yeah i have no idea when you're right when you do put it into like the, the totality of all of what they're up against They've got indictments coming at them. They know that this is going to happen, and yet they are about to crumble and, like, pull apart from one another just because of some rumors. The rumor that he the pleases that he a woman. The rumor that a woman. Exactly. It, 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 it's it like, yo, ridiculous. yo, yo, guys, none of us please women, right? Okay, good, good. As long as we got that on record. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I heard this rumor, though, that the boss, I heard he's pleasing women over here. Do you think it's that's one of the up, questions man. into being like a made man? I I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only way you get in the club, right? <laughs> that's the only way in the club is to prove 
that you have never pleased a woman. <laughs> the logic of it is so, so strange, you yeah. know? Oh, my gosh. I mean, the way Junior puts it is uh, they think if you'll suck on that, you'll suck on anything. Yeah, it's like, no, that doesn't even make any sense, man. And I'm just like... <laughs> Like, are they so inept? They do they have so little clue that they think, well, you know, when when you go to please a woman, you know, you just you wait for that little little clit to pop out, and then you just you just give it a little blowjob real quick, you know, you just get right up there, centimeters away, and you just give it a little blowjob, and clearly you're a fanook, you know, <laughs> that is some gay behavior. That's what they do, right? You are really into this idea. <laughs> I mean. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to work it out logically here, man. Don't even try. It doesn't make any sense. You'll go crazy. Do you just want to talk about Do you want to talk about Junior? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Junior, he comes from that long line, that long tradition of uncles who are malevolent, feckless, unscrupled, who are at war with their nephews, right? This goes all the way back to Hamlet. It stretches through the Lion King. And I don't know, maybe even it comes up in The Last Jedi. Whatever. It's there, right? What are your thoughts on Junior? He's a fantastic character in that he he represents the pettiness of the mob. The fact that in the end, all of these guys have so much in common that what's really going to set them off are these these small little moments of disrespect. And when you get someone like Junior who's so insecure, who is so thirsty for respect all the time and suddenly he has the ability to go to war with anyone underneath him he has the ability to just bring it all down yeah it's it's a disastrous combination absolutely it's bad stuff through the show he can be in this first season this antagonistic figure and yet still so funny and then when his role shifts in the series i would say he remains kind of this this really funny but tragic character i think he's one of the funniest characters outside silvio dante will always be in my opinion the funniest <laughs> character on the show but uncle june is definitely like maybe paulie is up there in the ranks paulie's up there he's too. up there like maybe my number two is this the first episode where we have Silvio get really intensely, like, unreasonably angry about something? Like, like this soccer mm -hmm. match where yeah. he goes off at the ref? Yep. And he starts kicking, kicking up grass. dirt. Oh, it is beautiful. Turns around and bows to the audience, too. What a ham. And you just, you get this impression that he is, like, a selective rageaholic, you know? Yes. He's, he's always pretty even-keeled, pretty level-headed among the crew, mm -hmm. and yet... These certain things that get at him, he can just go off and unleash all he of his rage. <laughs> it, it's Big Pussy and, and Sill that are probably the most level-headed in the crew um, yeah. and seem to kind of keep things in order. But yeah, you're right. Uh, Sill just, it's soccer, man. He's very particular about his football and he wants it played right. Back to Uncle Junior. Anyway, so I didn't know that Chase had modeled Uncle Junior's look, specifically the glasses, after his own uh, uncle. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, and that guy appears in the pilot. He's, like, uh, standing right across from Junior in the first scene where they walk out of the Vesuvios. That's actually David Chase's uncle, huh. who the character's based on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you saying before, um, just talking about the idea that Chase had written people that he knew into, the like, character traits of people that he knew into, into some of the, the on-screen uh, characters. Yeah, yeah, like Livia. And I think this was another role where he wrote a character who was so specific and he had 
this family member in mind and he really had trouble casting the role he looked very seriously at frank vincent but i think even though he liked his performance a lot he was like god i'm bringing in so many actors and so many elements from goodfellas this might just be one too many right and i i think he said he was he was very self-conscious about that at this point and and that's the reason that frank probably didn't get the role also tony sirico auditioned for junior right. um mm-hmm. i think they auditioned a lot of people and uh one of the casting directors was talking about it how essentially they were just pouring over every mob movie you know they could think of and they were watching godfather 2 and they were like oh this guy johnny ola this guy's just got a great look he's got a great energy you know mm-hmm. <laughs> he was an old man even when he was young he was just which i think is key because Junior seems like he's uh, roughly a thousand years old at the start of this show. <laughs> and yet he That's ages true. very little across the decade of it. And I feel like it's it's just because he was this sort of, he was this guy who was old when he was young with these giant lensed glasses. He just has this narrow view of the world and of life. And yet he has this energy to him of a younger man i think especially in this episode yeah. you know not just to to get back to his oral skills but overall he has this this weird vitality to him even though he looks like mr magoo you know <laughs> do you want to just hop into uh Kinesi? yeah i mean we got to talk about him I, I think he's fantastic um throughout the entire series talk about somebody Oh, who just nails every single line he gets, every moment. He's so perfect, yeah. He feels like the consummate supporting actor. So he had gone to school for for acting, pursued acting after college, performed in off-Broadway plays throughout the 60s. The entire time, he is making ends meet um, by attending like open mic nights, uh, managing those type of events. He's also an accomplished singer and guitarist, which I thought was pretty cool. And that ends up being showcased uh, later on in the uh, series. And I think the episode Army of One, which I thought was pretty cool just to see Uncle June break out into song that one time. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. Apparently, he would like bring his guitar around at like cast parties and events and things like that. They were like, he's always uh, breaking out the guitar. (laughs) He contains multitudes. I'll I'll give him that. There's a possibility there. He was in like L.A. Law. Uh, law and order and the funny thing is that he's always cast as like a judge which i think is funny because you know his his biggest role is one as a mobster but he is cast as a judge so many times i even think like in the good wife he's cast as a judge most recently it's just funny too because yeah his biggest role is he's cast as somebody with the worst judgment <laughs> right i mean he's just making bad decisions all over the left place, and right know? left and eating right. pussy man come on what was he thinking? <laughs> no idea. Uh, um, I think uh, post-Sopranos, he's just taken on work. Um, he actually still engages with uh, the elderly community, and he works as a, a recreational worker, which I think is kind of cool. Um, that's something he had done uh, as a younger man um, for people who were incarcerated, and then as he got older, he just kind of continued to do it. That was interesting. That is cool pretty guy. awesome, man. Yeah, really awesome guy. I mean, he's in his 90s now, and apparently, yeah, he's still entertaining for uh elderly folks like that pretty cool pretty cool good stuff (laughs) what do you think about the episode what's popping for you i mean this is a really unusual episode dude basically the central conceit of this episode as far as i can tell is they wanted to create a situation where 
their protagonist would be confronted with a problem he wasn't really equipped to solve. Mm -hmm. A problem where all of his skills would sort of be out the window. And essentially the victory of the episode is that he realizes, oh, I'm not the guy to mm -hmm. solve this problem. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a lot of shows do some variation of that where they're like, let's take our extremely high functioning protagonist and put them in a situation where the best thing they can do is realize that they have to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's sort of a template for the episode in season three, Employee of the, the Month, where uh, Melfi gets assaulted and uh, essentially the whole episode is about her choosing not to tell Tony mm -hmm. so that this guy can be murdered, you know? And in, in that episode, Tony is very much like a supporting character to the point where he's just this sort of plot mechanism, this sort of Damocles hovering that she decides not to engage with, you yeah. know? And this episode definitely feels like a dry run for that kind of story. But it's it's interesting. So we were talking about the the difference in tone the very comedic storyline combined with this really like dark, upsetting, disturbing material that to me in a way feels the most like the later seasons of the show. Yes. I, this, this episode, the tone of it feels the most like what the show would evolve into yep. post like season two mm -hmm. when most of the mob stuff was kind of wrapped up when the show wasn't as concerned with plot mechanics anymore. Mm -hmm. It feels like an early version of what the show would develop into a little bit. Yeah. I really like the reveal. Let me back up a second. When, when Uncle Junior tells Roberta, hey, you need to keep this hush-hush. I don't want to hear anything about it. I love that we think that it's a done deal. And it's only a few you know, uh, scenes later that we recognize, oh, wait, she's already been telling all of her girlfriends, all of her lady friends about Junior's skills in the bedroom. And so it's funny, um, but then you're just kind of like, well, what, what's going to come of this? Um, which is essentially like the end of their relationship. But I, I love that choice because it's hilarious. There's some interesting things going on behind the camera. Um, there's some odd like, still frame dissolves, which I think were kind of strange. Like there's that scene where Junior and, and Roberta are dancing and the, the camera just kind of holds on them. And then it, I think it, it either dissolves or it's either like a fade to black. I mean, that's where they're being surveilled by the FBI. And I think that's kind of an odd choice that doesn't really fit with the language of the show, what it has normally been doing and like the way that it would continue to carry onward. Yeah, it, it feels pretty experimental yeah. stylistically in addition to content there, but definitely not in the language of the show and, and not in the style of the show as it would develop. You look at season two and it's like sort of the shooting styles of like alan coulter and alan taylor i feel like were pretty well cemented as the look of the show moving forward but here you still have these these one-off directors coming in and and really trying to like just play around aesthetically but i i think i think it works okay in this episode just because this episode is so unusual overall mm -hmm. you know do you think that they're still trying to figure out the style of the show at this point? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I assume that at this point David Chase kind of knew how the last three episodes would go. He had the the big arc of conflict, at least in his head. Mm -hmm. And these episodes in between that are more standalone, 
it feels like they were playing around and seeing what kind of a story they could tell, what kind of a tone they could hit. And uh, this one is maybe the most extreme example of them playing around with just what kind of a tone can this show adapt to? You know, what, right. what kind of a tone can we get away with here? I thought Jamie Lynn Siegler was awesome in this episode. She's fantastic, man. Yeah. Ugh. She was great in college, and I think she just comes back to this episode and, and she hits it out of the park. Yeah, yeah. Dealing with, I mean, some really, really heavy stuff, man. She makes it all so believable. You feel her acting out at her parents, and it feels very realistic, and you understand that she's just completely, like, overwhelmed. Doesn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. And yet the way that she acts about that is with this sort of confidence of you guys don't know shit leave me alone right. you know and that that feels so true to a person her age yeah acting out in this situation i think again this episode i'm trying to think what comes after this it's it's a hit is a hit after this right yeah okay which is another example of the show experimenting which does not work no out yeah, yeah yeah so at this point the structure of the series has been a four episode mini arc a standalone episode one, two, three, four, five, maybe even six, just one-offs that still weave the thread of the main plot forward. And then episodes 11 and 12, they're the ending, right? Yeah, it's an unusual structure, right? The way that they're threading in the serialized storyline. It, mm -hmm. it feels very much like prototypical serialized TV, where right. they're still figuring out exactly how to thread the narrative because there are so many shows after this that get either so heavy with the serialization where there's almost the single episode plot almost becomes like a b storyline mm -hmm. at most and then there are other things that are like oh very very procedural and we're just going to sprinkle in serialization on top of that and that's right. kind of the network model for a lot of the golden age and you know i mean there are prestige shows too that that follow that that train you know what I think is so interesting about this episode, specifically Junior and his bedroom skills? Yeah, what's up? The reaction to everyone around him when they're sitting at the dinner table and Tony making fun of him and Carmela laughing at him, I think it speaks to the working class nature of who these people are, even though they have advanced to a, you know, a certain stage of wealth and 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 um and uh, socioeconomic status because I feel as though this is something that the Sabatkas would be making fun of in season two of The Wire. That's something that they would be it's making fun of. Yes. Nikki and Ziggy yes. be going back and forth over something like this. And the other thing is, is that the reaction is somewhat dated, right? Um, it's both culturally bound and in some oh, ways yeah. it's dated because let's be honest nowadays the hardest guys in the game rappers are talking about eating the booty like it's groceries well they are mm -hmm. but as a counter we very famously had dj khaled saying uh, exactly, adamantly yes. mm -hmm. that he, he does, does not, not eat pussy yes man. he did he doesn't eat pussy and he doesn't eat hot wings yep as we know <laughs> He bitched out after two wings on Hot Ones. That's right. Like oh, a that's little right. punk. Oh, that's right. Oh, my gosh. 
But yeah, so DJ Khaled, I mean, just an example of this continuing. But yes, I agree. It's very, I don't even know if dated is the word. It's just retrograde as it fuck. Is. It's mm-hmm. just these characters being culturally locked in a yeah. whole different time. Yeah. We got this whole thing where like Tony and Carmela admit essentially that he only goes down on her once, once a, a year. year. Like, shit. come on. Come on, man. And the funny thing is like, she just drops that and she leaves it knowing like, kind of like, ha ha. Tony's just right. kind of like marinating in that moment. Like the reaction on Gandolfini's <laughs> face, I love it. Because he's kind of like, yeah, yeah, I, I do. Yeah, that's how, that's how things roll between us. <laughs> these, are, these are the limitations of the man coming to the forefront here. Exactly. <laughs> he's confronting his own inadequacies. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're, they're playing around with a lot culturally socially it's it's just it's very strange man yeah apparently the inspiration for it came from uh this uh this ex mobster who was a technical advisor on the show was saying that how like oh yeah eating pussy that's that's like a big signal that you're you're weak that you're not a man and uh that's some shit that you want to just like keep to yourself if you do it (laughs) yeah what do you think about Artie and Charmaine. I mean, Artie's such a wonderful character, man. Yes. John Mentimiglia, uh, very close friend of Michael Imperioli's. They go way mm-hmm. back. I think mm-hmm. I think they go back to before uh, they were even in college together. Okay. And uh, they've been acting together for a long, long time. But, uh, I mean, he's he's fantastic. His performance is so funny. Uh, he has so many amazing little, like, physical moves. I love how he uses his non-existent hair as a prop constantly. Right. Yeah. He's constantly like smoothing, <laughs> smoothing the area just above his his bald scalp. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. He's just constantly like lowering his status with these little yes. like ticks and moves. It's yeah. so good. And it's funny to me because he had said while the show was going on, oh man, I never get to hang out with all the guys and I wish I was a gangster on this show so that I could just like be up in all of this cool stuff. And yet he ends up being so much more memorable as a character Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. by the fact that he's, you know, on the outskirts. He's not the guy. Perpetually stuck there on the outside looking in. And, uh, you know, you know that he's too good of a guy to really ever excel in that world and it's so right. good that he is where he is but you see how he's got that that pull you know that that mm-hmm. sense that he's just never going to be one of the guys in the clubhouse that he's mm-hmm. just outside of it but yeah but he's great and uh he he represents this sort of moral barometer for the show the whole way through of being the guy who's not in the life and then right. he has this wife Charmaine who uh is probably the most principled character on the entire she is and uh also happens to be like one of the harshest (laughs) to deal with (laughs) just on a moment by moment basis like she does not take anything from anyone she does not take any shit and i really have to respect her but man she does not make it an easy pill to swallow ever it is i mean tough she calls him like she sees him and she just she is hard-nosed all the way through and you're right, you do have to respect it, because in some ways, I think she writes the ship more than Artie does. Like, yeah. Artie can get, like, pulled down into this, like, well, into, like, this sort of, like, black hole of, of, of wanting to be a gangster, and, 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 and sees that as appealing. And then every time he gets sucked into that, 
Charmaine is there to be like, what are you thinking? This episode's probably the biggest example of it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is mm -hmm. maybe the closest he ever gets to being in on some gangster shit when he's yep. like, this guy deserves to die. It's right. so funny how he just flips that switch and he's like, oh no, we need to kill this motherfucker. Like, <laughs> right. before anybody. <laughs> and you understand, like, you see where that emotion comes from, man. And uh, it's funny, like, I very much enjoy on-screen violence i enjoy like sorted narratives i'm i'm all about that aesthetically but i'm in real life i'm i'm an extremely non-violent person and i uh and yet i watched this episode and i'm like yeah they should kill this guy yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're not gonna get any justice by going through you know law enforcement with him nope no no this guy this guy's not he's not even going to jail honestly that's the yeah. shitty thing is this guy's totally getting acquitted if charges are even brought against him, which they mm -hmm. probably wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, what the fuck do you do? You know, and in this fictional construct, it's so easy to be like, oh, well, of course, just have the characters kill him. And you're so frustrated when Charmaine is like, no, Artie, you can't be a part of this. You can't let this happen even. She's even yeah. like, stop this from happening if you can, yeah, basically, you can. right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <sighs> That is the moral choice and the principled one. It's just, it's it's tough, man. It's tough to swallow, you know? I wonder why, I wonder why Chase put them in the show at all. Not to say that the show is, that the show would be better without them, but I wonder, like, are they sort of like the Greek chorus that you would find in an old play, in a, in a, in a Homeric play? You've got these outsiders who are just sort of maybe narrating or making commentary on what's happening within the actual like main story yeah yeah i mean I, I think that's very apt i think they are this sort of barometer of the moral relativism of mm -hmm. the universe for mm -hmm. sure and he can he can engage them when it's a situation like this where it's like the mob doesn't really need to get involved but passions are flaring and it's really a question of does someone from the outside allow this to happen? Do they approve of it? Or do they stand up and say, hey, we don't really need to be doing this and in the process convince mm -hmm. everyone else not to? As a function of the mob, they tend to just go after pure profit situations. You know, of course. Everything comes down to earning. It comes down to money. And so a situation like this where they're doing something purely out of emotion, it's kind of easy to talk themselves down from it too. Mm -hmm. It creates an interesting parallel with the Junior storyline because that's a situation where Junior is very much acting on emotion, acting on his insecurity, and it's showing how damaging that is to them. Right. Mom, you know? Right the fact that he is like a bad gangster is what's being explicated here you know exactly. whereas tony being a good gangster he's going to get up to the precipice with just making an emotional choice and he's going to decide against it because it's not profitable for him yep yeah and, and that's the choice he makes here even though clearly it's uh really difficult for him he has to get like plastered plastered in order show. to make the right decision god yeah, i know uh. right i really like the way that's shot and directed <sighs> at the man, end where he's is... just so fucked up yeah man yeah we can come back to that yeah uh, in a minute yeah for as, sure as one, a notable scene i think this is maybe the only time that i've seen Catherine narducci in anything i don't really remember her um, from any other works, maybe outside of 
she she pops up here and there on a lot of stuff. She does work a lot. The main thing I remember is she's uh, Joe Pesci's wife in The Irishman. That's right. Yeah, yeah she is. Okay. But uh, no, she she tends to be in more smaller supporting roles. You know, I, a lot I think of TV work. Yeah, The Sopranos mm-hmm. is such. It, the wonderful thing about it is that it allows actors like her who have such a particular voice and a particular mm-hmm. look to really be major characters who have a mm-hmm. lot of scenes and a lot of stuff to play. I think in the majority of projects, you would cast her in just this very small supporting role and she would just sort of be there to add some flavor to a scene, but she wouldn't be a major character because, you know, most Hollywood productions are so myopic and being like, okay, everyone just has to be sort of middle of the road, you know, handsome and pretty. And yeah. you don't, you don't get these characters who are so, who are so spicy, you know, yeah. who are so extreme <laughs> in their, Warts in their all. tones. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's great though. She I is. I like what she brings. They're I both like, amazing. They're like the good version of Tony and Carmilla. They're the uncorrupted versions of Tony and Carla. Yeah, and they're still Jersey as hell. And they're still Jersey, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what would you say is the most notable standout scene for you? Ooh, man. Yeah, no, no, I know what it is, totally. All it's right. the pie-in-the-face scene, man. Okay. okay. Oh, God. Yeah. Bobby Sanfilippo. Oh, man. This, this actress, Robin Peterson, who plays her, she... <sighs> hasn't really worked a ton she was in like la law and remington steel oh yes and i think like her first role ever was three's company oh you on that brosnan tip huh oh man <laughs> early 2000s phil knows about some remington steel <laughs> that's right that's right i just remembered <laughs> but um yeah, I mean, she pops up here and there, but in very small roles, you know, just like uh, as a character's mom for one scene or a saleswoman or stuff like that. Like just looking at her uh, her credits here. But uh, she's incredible in this she's episode, great. dude. That scene where Junior crushes that pie into her face. It's just it's a perfect encapsulation of the two tones of the episode. It's at once like really disturbing mm-hmm. emotional harrowing and yet there's something so comedic it's bizarre and and just like funny in a really off-kilter way yeah. and it's it's the two tones of the episode like meshing perfectly into this one scene and you feel so bad for her i mean she's you crying you know junior i love you please don't go and I'm I'm so upset in that moment because I'm like this was some petty bullshit in the yeah. end, you know. For all yeah. our joking, this was some just really like immature, ridiculous shit that broke this 16 year relationship. And in that moment, my like heart is with her totally. And they do such a good job too, even with Junior. I mean, Dominic Kianese is such a good fucking actor that every little movement he makes, every little like decision he makes you know in his body language in his his little like facial tics you get the pain of it for him as well you get all of the fucking regret when he walks out in that overhead shot Mm -hmm. and he just like tenses up and like makes his hands into fists and it's just like oh i fucking did that and i hate it and i hate it so much and yet it was the right thing to do is the way right. he's, he sees it. And it's like, uh, it just makes him such a pathetic figure. It really does. Uh, it reminds me so much of when we were talking about uh, Christopher 
um, and how we're just thinking like, man, like if only he had a little bit more insight into who he is, the behaviors that he's taking on, maybe he could make a breakthrough and be a healthy screenwriter. Maybe he could make a breakthrough, <laughs> you know, and be a, a healthy uh, partner in a relationship. But no, that's not that's not what's happening for these characters. But yeah, that's that's a great scene. I was I'm torn because I recognize now that when I'm picking these scenes, I'm basing them off of my love of striking images mm. um, and just like the ability, obviously, to to create and convey emotion or tone through image as well. The the pie in the face is such an example of that. It, it's just yeah. it's the there's a lot of image. Yeah, that one is great. And then there were two that stood out in my mind. One that was hilarious, and that's Paulie standing in the driveway with the two guys with the TV. Oh, man, that's a great moment. Just the way that the camera cuts to Paulie. He's got there. He's just standing. He just looks really imposing. He's just like you're going to take this TV. That scene in of itself is very very funny. But then the last scene is the one that really hit me. On the rewatch, because again, it's about juxtaposing things that are hilarious. That's what the episode's been doing the entire time. Things with hilarious with things that are very uncomfortable and even sad. And so that last scene is Tony drunk. Yeah. Which it starts off as being like, it's kind of funny. It's kind of like, oh, he's stumbling around. He's he's kind of goofy. He's being silly. And then the last shot is actually, I assume it's Meadows POV. And she's looking down at Carmela, and Tony's, like, passed out on the floor. And then you get, like, the real sense of, like, oh, that must have been kind of scary. Because I, I got the feeling that maybe this is the first time she's seen something like this. Or maybe she's recognizing... <sighs> she's recognizing the effect the, the that effect her life of the, exactly, is having on him. On other yeah. people. And I, I think you're right. I mean, most of that scene is shot way above, looking down over mm-hmm. the stairway. And mm-hmm. it's it's implied heavily that this is... The point of view of his children. Exactly. And I agree, it is scary. I mean, there's a moment in it where he falls into a table and the camera swings really fast to just like help convey and underline like his weight and his movement and how forcefully he's crashing into things. And it is scary because it's yeah. like you're seeing this big, powerful figure, this father figure, so out of control. Yeah out of control and then i think at the end he is sort of like he's laying at carmela's feet and he's passing out he's falling asleep and he looks so helpless and kind of vulnerable um and he makes some kind of like offhand statement that just sounds very it's not really coherent and then carmela looks up at 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 us essentially or assuming at meadow um and just the look of, of concern on her face i think that just said a lot that that hit me pretty hard yeah definitely it's a good scene Power rankings? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. We're just going to juxtapose ourselves, right? We're just going to hop from really heavy stuff into stuff that means absolutely nothing. Let's right. do it. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> you want me to go first? Sure. All right. All right. So I had an honorary mention. Silvio Dante's hat when they're out on the golf course. It is a work of art. I don't that even know what type TV of... That is Van Zandt's actual hat. Is it really? He brought to set, yes. I happen to know that that is a piece of costuming that he... <laughs> so good. <laughs> that is a part of him that he is owns that. his own wardrobe. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he decided, this is what I'm wearing in this scene. <laughs> oh, man. It's so good. I love that moment. All right. Here I am. Okay. At number five, I've got Artie. Again, because I think this is maybe the deepest we get into his character. We've known for a while that he is sort of on the outskirts, that he is hurting. You know, he's had to move from, you know, he's had to downsize 
he and his family are are doing their best to kind of hold things together. And you see him really struggle with like, oh, man, I wish I could be this other person. I wish I could be Tony. I wish I could be one of the guys who do some um, some really dirty work, some heavy stuff. But I'm just not that guy. I wish I could be, but I'm not. I actually have Tony at number four. And I'm not even sure why. I, I think that there were just other people in the episode that either made a more a stronger impression or did a little bit more in the episode that uh that I that I definitely appreciated. So I've got him at 4. I don't really feel like there's anything too much to say about him because if anything he's being more acted upon and influenced throughout the episode than anything yeah. else. Yeah. This is about as low as he gets yeah. in terms of influence, right? Yep. I would yeah. say number 3, again, I've talked about this before. He shows up in your driveway. You got to listen and pay respect. It's Polly. <laughs> I love that. My name is Clarence. <laughs> he says, <laughs> and it's such a threat. It's so good. Uh, you gotta take this TV. Love it. <laughs> oh, so good. All right, number two, I've got Junior. Um, for obvious reasons, this is a great showcase for him. Um, a good uh, examination of his psyche. What makes him tick? Like, still, we we get to understand that this guy is propelled by his insecurities. That's what this really is for him. It's it's this reaching beyond his grasp, but then also just being propelled by insecurity at the same time. Poor guy, I feel for him. And at number one, I've actually got Meadow. I, I love Jamie Lynn Siegler's performance. I think she, every scene that she's in, like you said before, she's hitting all of the right notes, whether it is being overwhelmed by this really awful situation, being irritated with her parents because they don't know exactly what's going on, but I do, and so I feel frustration with that. And then at the end where she really is come undone by having had disclosed this information and then, like, the fallout, which is, like, she has to think about, like, oh, my gosh, is my dad going to go kill my coach? Which I think she plays all of that uh, exceptionally well. So yeah, She that's really does, five. man. Mm -hmm. her, her reaction in the moment when she finds her, her friend cutting her wrist, like, in a park dude yeah, that's hard that is wild yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i guess that speaks to it being more of a cry for help and attention mm -hmm. kind of yeah man i mean jamie lynn sigler's reaction is what really makes that moment so harrowing yeah but no she's she's great she's great <sighs> who's your five hmm hmm <laughs> all right I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go a different way with it, All you right. know. So, I think at number five, I'm gonna put uh, peppers and eggs <laughs> because uh, <laughs> you know, Junior. Junior didn't get those peppers and eggs, oh. and he was just like, "Oh man, I just made the wrong order for my <laughs> lunch break at the lawyer's office," you know. And uh, you just you feel in that moment that that frustration of yeah. like. Oh, didn't get this entree and yet i would say it doesn't it doesn't give everyone else quite the uh the power up that That's he true. was expecting That's you know true. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i respect that so of course then uh at number four we're gonna have to go with red peppers because uh there we go hey hey those apparently though are gonna get you get you in the mood for some <laughs> intense bedroom <laughs> maneuvers you know <laughs> get him back to his artistry <laughs> There with the you cunnilingus, go. as it were. And, uh, man, just the mouth sounds when he's smacking on those red peppers. That is uh, fucking evocative. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> it's so gross. real gross. And, you know, we don't, we don't really see the full, like, aphrodisiac effect go right. in on them. So, you know. So glad that we don't. 
We don't need to see Maybe that. Maybe he's overrating them a bit. That's why I put them down at four, you know? All right. All right. And then uh, at number three, damn. Is I this mean... a food-related power rankings? Hmm, like I, sense, I, I think know. I sense a theme I don't know. here. Okay. All right. <laughs> at number three, I'm going to put... Uh, that friggin' pasta dinner, man, that they're oh, sitting I, okay, down for. Oh, okay, this is food. Oh, right, my God. Okay. Like, come on, bro. They are just All like. Right. Going in on that pasta. They are going huh? in on that pasta. It does look delicious. They, they are so into it that uh, Livia's like, take me home. Oh, my God. All this drama. And Junior's like, nah, I'm eating. Come no, on. No, no, no. I'm staying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is uncomfortable, but I'm going to eat. Right. <laughs> This pasta is so good. I'm going to sit here through all of this awkwardness, all of this, like, shit that we're dealing with, teenage emotions running rampant, and nah, nah. I mean, come on. You got to finish your pasta, though. You do. That's so Italian, man. Oh, my God. I got some respect for that. And so, uh, coming in at number two, almost taking the, the top spot, but, I mean, it, it just its power has to be noted, clearly, is uh, Bobby Sanfilippo's pussy. I mean, come uh, on, man. Okay. <laughs> as far as things that we are eating that just have such a massive influence on the plot. And Junior just That's cannot get away from this. Saying, you You're know. right. Oh, and, yeah. uh, I mean, clearly, like, the power of this pussy just brings down the entire operation. It essentially wrecks the mob organization, man. Man, uh, you're right. And then, you know, at number one, at number one, we got to go with that pie, man, because, I mean, that is just the absolute death blow to this whole thing. That seals the deal. As far as food items on The Sopranos go, that is as close as we get to a straight-up murder weapon, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think just for, for pure lethality, for relationship-ending <laughs> destruction, we got to go with the pie at number one. <laughs> Bravo. You're so proud of yourself for doing this, aren't you? <laughs> Actually, no, I'm a little ashamed, but hey, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> I had to dig in. Uh, boy. All right. I gave Melfi an A-plus for this episode. A-plus? Damn, yes. you high marks. Go for it. Because she saved a man's life. It's true. A reprehensible person, no doubt, but she saved someone's life, literally, in this episode. And so I gave her an A-plus. Yeah. Nothing more to say about you, Melfi. I hope you went home, poured yourself a nice glass of wine, and slept sound that night. I know, and that's the thing, though. She didn't even realize how instrumental she was in this moment. She really didn't. She really didn't. I mean, just, and think about that, too. I mean, not only did she save a man's life, but then she also led to this same person being arrested and then potentially, like, being held to justice, which, I mean, obviously, we don't really know if that's going to happen, but. Yeah, I, I it's better taking this per Yeah, it's better taking this person off of the street. It's true. It's yeah. True. So, you know, overall, I would say it's like, it's definitely not the best episode of the season, but it is such a fascinating episode just as like mm -hmm. the show really expanding what tones it could uh, accommodate and setting setting out this blueprint that the show would really lean into in the later seasons. Yeah. Got any corrections, man? Any last thoughts? Oh, man. <laughs> Oh, no. we're gonna we're gonna have oh, to skip no. past corrections man because oh, i i just no. go back and i see so many mistakes in the old episodes <laughs> that i'm like now nah, we just gotta like power through you know there have been errors before there were probably Fair errors enough. in this one and going forward <laughs> just expect more more factual inconsistencies and we'll uh, that's part of the end. charm right exactly yeah. we're rolling here just rolling <laughs> seat of our pants how about you any final thoughts no. Um, again, I think this wasn't the strongest episode, but I think as we said about episode seven, 
it's a good episode of television. Just doesn't uh, meet up to the standards of the other uh, flagship episodes of, of the season. Mm-hmm. And that's all. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a solid episode. I like what it does. Is it time for Name That Episode? Let's do it. Guess how many I've got today? Five, sucker. What? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's going to be like an hour-long segment. <laughs> all right. Okay, name that episode. The game where Phil describes an episode of television and Alex uses his encyclopedic knowledge of all TV to guess the title. Oh, boy. You've been doing pretty well so far, man. Encyclopedic knowledge of yeah. all TV. I'm hyping you up. That's I'm hyping nonsense, you up. bro. Yeah, I'm hyping you up. I just have all of these stupid little like facts stuck in my brain. All of these pretentious ass episode titles that just will not go away. They're just they're stuck there. And uh, so, yeah, this is my way of exercising my demons if I possibly can. I hope that this is doing you some good. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, depending ready? all depending on my performance, you know. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. After after the end of this, you might be very vexed. Yes. Okay. Here we go. Ronald D. Moore said that the production of this second season episode of Battlestar Galactica, during which Starbuck has been captured by the Cylons, was the most contentious and fraught with controversy. Ooh. Ah, I know exactly the episode. Is it called The Farm? Oh my gosh, he is at it again. Oh, the streak yes. continues. <laughs> oh, all right. You want to know something funny about that episode? Yeah, go for it. It's the first on screen appearance of the most useless character in the show, Cylon number four, named Simon. Oh, Simon. Yeah. yeah. What was the point? Great actor, but what was the point of that character? He was really good, and he just became yes. like this red shirt where he's he's the Cylon who's immediately going to get just like exposed and then just, yes. you know, shot, thrown oh. out of an airlock, what have you. Oh my gosh, that guy just, yeah, anyway. He's, right, the, just... he's the worst at undercover maneuvers <laughs> of any Cylon by far. He skipped that part of the training and yeah. orientation. Yeah. All right. Number two. John Hamm made his television directorial debut in this season five episode of Mad Men, wherein Betty Francis discovers a growth on her thyroid and Peggy interviews newcomer Michael Ginsburg. Oh, Michael Ginsburg shows up in this episode. Yes. Oh, man. He's so awesome, bro. He's so great. Mm-hmm. Ah, man. <sighs> season five. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Season five is an interesting one, man. It's like I think it might actually be my favorite season. Possibly. Really, you like it better than I four? Think so I yeah, interesting because mm-hmm. five four is, is a good one too. Five is where his marriage falls apart, right? Yes, that is. He is married to Megan, I believe, at that point. Okay, and by the end of the season, I think that is over with. So uh, five opens with like Zuby Zuby Zoo, right? I think so. Okay, yes. yeah. Yeah, season five's really Wait, good am I right too. about that? Or is no, that I season to, four? No, season four is the one with uh, the actress's, her last name is Bruno. I want to say her name is Carla Bruno. Oh, yes, 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 yes. That. Yeah. Yes. Are right, am I right about that? Yeah. And she's a psychiatrist, psychologist. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Season four is really dark, right? Yes, it is. That's yeah. the one where. Uh, That's why I like it so much. Don is, he's living by himself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's living by oh, himself. Oh, and he's getting slapped he's around. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. slapped around. He's into that kinky stuff. Yep. Dirty yep. man. Dirty draper. <laughs> We're just all about this. 
<laughs> we're just Terrible. hung up on kinks this episode man oh really my god are. okay so i i'm it's not coming to me man like just a just a little you want hint. A hint you want a hint all right this is the closest that don draper ever got to meeting the rolling stones oh fuck oh dude of course is it is it lady lazarus no that's the beatles episode right I believe so, yes. Okay, right, right. This is the one where Satisfaction's playing while he's, like, standing outside of the the concert space, right? I, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's uh, a backstage, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What, what is the title? You want the title? Like? Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, oh, what does it sound yeah, like? Yeah, just, like, oh, like a little hint on. about, like, the episode title itself. Like, like uh, It's two words. Two words, and, uh, okay. It's about um, a an item of uh, that you would consume that you prepare. Yeah. An item you would consume that you prepare yourself. I can't believe I'm giving you these hints. <sighs> so it's a food item? Yes. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. That was way too <laughs> That was that was way too shady. Uh, so so it's something that you eat. It's something you consume. Something you consume. Yes. But you don't eat it. <laughs> Can't say anything more than that. Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, encyclopedia. Oh, man. Is it something you drink? Come on. Come on. Give me that. Give me it. It is. All right. Okay. It's something you drink. Yes. Is it an alcoholic beverage? No. No. Oh, my God. It's not an alcoholic beverage. It's terrible. Oh, my God. Just fiending. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Is it called uh, uh, tea leaves? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. I don't want to give you credit for that. <laughs> what are you talking like... about? Yeah, I do really. What don't. are you talking about? No, I had to hold your hand through that one. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, it was come a collaboration, on, motherfucker. No, come on, we held hands like... and got to that oh, answer together. Oh. Get get out of here. Oh get man, out of here. <laughs> I didn't know John Hamm directed that one. That's he crazy. Did. Yeah. Oh man. Cool. I just remember that shot where Satisfaction is playing and he's standing there and he like he looks kind of like frustrated and uncool and like a man out of time. Mm-hmm. It's a great moment directing yeah. wise. Yeah. It's a good one. I'm trying to think here. I am really curious as to whether or not season five was Zooby Zooby Zoo or It must be the season five opener, dude. I yeah. think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah it's a two parter. Yeah, okay. A little right. kiss, that was really right? yeah, yeah. That was that was bothering me so much. I, man, now that you say it, season five is just such a good narrative the whole way through with Megan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like that that season has less like real high points. Like yeah. less really really amazing episodes like the suitcase but it's such a strong season through line narrative yeah, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. i got last I, one man i gotta rewatch four and five see which mm-hmm. one's better mm. i think both That'd are better be than one as amazing as one is yeah i, I would say so all right. doing this yeah all let's right, do one go. more hell last yeah one. nice okay. nice because that last one was questionable apparently you know <laughs> oh yeah definitely i totally dinged it but at the same time you know Whatever. too many all hints right, i guess too many hints for the way band. too many hints all right way too all many right. all right here we go <laughs> this is the only season four episode of the sopranos directed by michael imperioli during which christopher christopher continues to struggle with his heroin addiction 
I didn't know he directed any episodes. Hold on one second. Are you sure he directed it? Or he didn't just write it? He wrote it. Excuse me. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because he wrote a few, but I was like, I yeah. don't think he ever directed. I apologize. The show. No, that's actually, yeah, that uh, that was yeah. key that you uh, remembered that. Oh. <laughs> it is because Over it, here. It, it rolled in, it rolled into my hint with the so, misleading yeah. hints. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> hmm. Well, it's not Christopher. No, no. I think that's the worst episode of the show. I don't know. That one, it has some individual good scenes, but that's in the mm-hmm. that early batch of season four episodes where it's just like. The pace is so, so slow. slow. There mm-hmm. is so little happening. And then when things do happen, it's like, how could I possibly care about this? How could mm-hmm. I possibly care about like the Italian defamation league yeah. getting up in their business about like a yeah. parade? Yep. It's funny. It's like, we're going over these not as good season one episodes where it's like, uh, this episode, you know, it was just okay. But it's like, but at least like things are happening and we're getting lots of like character development. And it Mm -hmm. feels like if the episode as a whole, isn't that good, it doesn't detract from the season that much. There you go. As the show goes on, it's like, we get these episodes that just feel, they feel completely untethered from what's going on or what should be going on. They just feel like a waste, man. Yeah. And they started to stack up like one after another. So that's that's just why not trying to like should talk the show, but just to say why no. I think season one there's still a really strong argument for it being the best, even though it has these like weaker moments. Anyway, I'm clearly stalling because I yeah you not... really are <laughs> super confident on this. Is it the Telltale Mutzadel? No. God damn it! It's not. Ah. So this episode was written by Imperioli. Right. It's directed by Steve Buscemi. Mm. that's my hint to you yeah is this season four mm-hmm oh, fuck dude is it called in camelot nope oh dang i know buscemi directed that one ah uh, nope no i don't have it don't have it nope ah uh, so defeated Written by Michael Imperioli, directed by Steve Buscemi. Episode six of season four, titled "Everybody Hurts." Ah, no, no, it's all right. Didn't have it. Happens, man. It's okay. Not at all. Season four. You're like, oh, I know how to get him. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm going into these deep cuts nowadays, man. I know you. I I know you know all of the, the. you know the singles. Right, right. But I'm going in for the deep cuts. Going for those unreleased B-sides. Exactly. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's how I get this oh, guy. Oh, man. Nice, nice. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> That's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Just to wrap things up, uh, we so appreciate y'all listening, and uh, we hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast app you're using. Uh, next week, we'll be back with episode 10, A Hit is a Hit. A controversial episode, we might say. <laughs> Get ready for some hot takes on that one. And uh, we'll see you then. Peace. Peace.